Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to episode number 117 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. So first of all, I'd like to welcome all you to episode number 117 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or in Stitcher, or in iHeartRadio, or in Google Play Music, or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck is, I'm just going to give you a brief description of what the show's all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I'm a 24-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a huge 60 music fan slash expert slash nerd. And uh, each week with this podcast, I take one artist by one song from the 60s with the show in two parts. First part of the show, I talk about my opinion of the song and why I think it's so good or why I think it sucks, and do my own personal analysis on the arrangement of the song, which will include the chords, melody, and lyrics. And the second part of the show, I dig deep into the history behind that track. In that part of the show, talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, what studio the song was recorded at, who were the musicians of the track, what who produced the song, and the history behind the song or that wrote it, the artists that recorded it, produced it, the producer, the musicians that played on it, and where the studio was located at, where that studio was, where the song was recorded, the name of the studio, also the name of the record label song was released on the history behind that label, and the peak position of the song made up originally in the Billboard Hot 100 charts and the year when the song was released. All that is in the second part of the show. Now, before we move on to this week's episode of the podcast, I have some really cool announcements for you guys. Um, my birthday's next week. Yeah, I'm turning 24 on Monday. And here's what's going to happen uh, d- during these next couple weeks. As promised, I'm not putting out an episode next week, but I am going to record an episode that will be released the week after my birthday. And the point of me saying all this is because I'm my next interview for my podcast, which again, Will be I'll have someone on my age on my podcast ask me a bunch of questions, all sixties music related, and that's I'm going to record that episode on Sunday, uh, but uh, for this week I'm just going to put out an episode. But like I said, you don't don't expect an episode from me next week because I promised myself that I would take the week of my birthday off, and that's exactly what's going to happen. So no episode next week, but this will you'll get you'll get an episode this week, but definitely not next week. And yeah, so that's what's happening with that. Also, I am very, very close to getting my opportunity of me creating and hosting my own virtual exhibit on 60s music at the Grammy Museum. Because uh, now what's going to happen is that they want my school wants me to basically create my own three-minute presentation on the exhibit on exactly what it's going to be about and, w- and what kind of things are going to be in it. So that's really cool. So um, that I'll keep you guys posted with that. So... I'm going to be shooting that video really soon, probably next week, actually, uh, when I have more time to do it when I'm not doing this podcast next week. So I'm very excited to be doing that because that's going to be so amazing. I mean, the Grammy Museum is such a high value place for rock and roll history. It's just like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, except that it's in Los Angeles, not in Cleveland, Ohio. So I'm very, very excited to be doing stuff with them and just kind of giving them a piece of my mind and just showing them what I know exactly. You guys already know I know all this stuff, but just showing them like, hey, I know my stuff. And not only that, but just sort of giving them a new perspective on 60s music and showing them certain scenes that aren't 
as well known or as well or as talked about or as well as highly publicized as some of the other things such as the Laurel Candy music scene and you know Motown and Stax and Memphis I mean people just went on and on and on about those specific scenes but on my podcast I've talked about the New York scene Chicago you know uh, Nashville uh, Philadelphia I mean I've gone pretty in depth with a lot of those things so I'm going to that's what the exhibit's really going to be about it's going to be all about the studio musicians and producers and songwriters of the scenes and all the knowledge is coming directly from me and a lot of the things I've read in the past so it's going to be really cool and I can't wait to do that Okay, so let's move on to this week's song. Now, here's the other thing that you might have noticed about uh, this week's episode. Notice how I didn't say part one of episode number 117. I just said this is episode 117. Well, since I'm not going to be putting out an episode next week, and you know I'm going to take next week off, and then the week after that's going to be an interview episode, this is only going to be one song. And it's only going to be, I'm only going to talk about one song and one artist. And it's only going to be one episode. And there's no part one and part two for this one. And, you know, it's because it can get really quickly. I can go really quickly about the history. But also, this particular song this week, it's an interesting song. Because I haven't done this in a while. I Last time I did this was last year. But I kind of, you know, introduced you guys to this very specific genre of music from the 60s that was so popular back then. But it's not that popular today. Very few people know about this specific genre of music because they just don't hear, just don't hear it anymore. When you turn on the radio, it's either hip hop or rap, or it's just. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's all vocal music. And what I'm trying to say is that this one specific genre of music that was super popular in the '60s that you don't hear anymore, which is kind of unfortunate. I wish you still heard stuff like this, is instrumental music. And now, of course, if you're at a rave, you know, before COVID, if you were just, you know, parting your ass off, you would hear instrumental stuff, but it'll all be just, you know, basically trap, you know, or EDM or something more electronic. But this specific kind of instrumental music, you absolutely don't hear anymore. And today, I'm going to be breaking down for you guys and talking about the history behind one of the, one of my favorite instrumental songs from the 60s. Oh my God, this song freaking slaps. Seriously, it's incredible. It just sounds amazing. I mean, it's just it's just it's just amazing. It's literally one of those songs that, you know, it's it's like literally check this out. So, if you're a, if you're home alone during quarantine and, you know, it's just you're kind of feeling lonely and you kind of want to dance like no one's watching, well, this song is for you because this song, you know, it's one of those songs that is just so danceable and just so much fun. And it's a great song to kind of take your mind off of all the absolute crap that's happening in our world right now. You know, because sometimes we kind of need an escape. I mean, this is definitely an important part of our American history. And it's also important part of the world history as well. Well, you know, sometimes it's, it's always during those moments in our history, it's always kind of a good idea to kind of take your mind off of that for just a minute and just think about something else. And this is the perfect song for that. The song is absolutely incredible. I mean, just it gets you going. You listen to it and you just want to just want to you literally you won't be able to sit down when you hear this song. I mean, this song is just so catchy and so, you know, upbeat and just so uplifting. I mean, it's just it's one of those songs that it just sounds so amazing. It's one of the best dance records of all time. 
Uh, but I'm going to stop talking about that now, and I'm going to play the song for you. I'm going to talk about the history behind it after I play it for you and break down what the song is about musically. Because I'm not going to break it down what what it is about lyrically, because there's there's not any lyrics in the song. I mean, there's chants of lyrics, but there's no lyrics in the song. So I'm just going to talk about what makes the song so good musically, then I'll jump into the history behind it. Okay, so the song was recorded on April 13th of 1962 and released that same year, I believe during the fall of that year. I'll have to look it up later. But anyways, it came out in the year of 1962. It was recorded by a band called The Rooters. The name of the song is called Let's Go Pony. my god that instrumental kicks ass seriously oh man i mean just that opening uh you know chant in the beginning that is incredible i love the guitars on it oh my god now in this week's episode i'm going to talk about what makes a song so great musically but there's no lyrics in this song so i'm not going to talk about the song's lyrics so after i talk about the song's music and talk about how good it is i'm going to go diving straight into the history behind it but first let's get into the song's music Okay, so we got a lot to talk about here with this particular song, uh, Let's Go. And by the way, actually the correct title for the song is Let's Go, uh, parentheses, Pony. That's actually the correct name of the song. But let's just talk about this for song for a second. Okay, this song is absolutely incredible. And here's the thing, is that, you know, it, it, again, it's one of those songs where it doesn't have the most complex chord progression. Look, I mean, in the in the, in the main section of the song where that guitar riff is playing, it's just like basic one, four, five. I mean, it's not that complicated. You know, it's basically just kind of like a one, four, five blues thing happening. But just t- listen to how amazing the musicianship on this song is. Because check this out. Even though it does that one, four, five thing, it automatically goes into all those cool modal interchanges and you hear that major two and you hear that major three. And when you hear those modal interchanges, as soon as that happens, the musicianship kicks in the high gear with the song. You hear the guitar player doing all these really cool lead guitar licks and they're like, wow, this is awesome. I mean, it just sounds amazing. And the cool part about that is that when it goes into those modal interchange sections, everything kind of cuts out. You know, because when you hear that major three and that major four and you hear those guitar player doing that really, really cool, just out of this world lead guitar playing, not like crazy, not like Eddie Van Halen, obviously, but still you hear those lead guitar licks happening and then you hear everything drop out and you hear that 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 chant happen again. And then check this out. So when you hear that, you, you know, so so when you hear that chant, right, you hear also the drums are a very important part of the song because they're so up front. They play that pop, pop. Pop, pop, pop. You hear that drum beat and you think of like, you know, She Loves You by the Beatles and you think that I want to hold your hand. And you think about that drum beat and you, th- you hear that. It's such a 1962 drum beat, but sounds incredible. And also, here's the other thing I want to talk with you about this song. You hear those modal interchanges, right? And then you also, there's one specific instrument in this song that I think it kind of seals the show from the guitar. 
I, I think the saxophone rips it up in this song. Holy shit, this guy wails on the sax. I mean, his saxophone solo in the middle of this track sounds amazing. Holy shit. I mean, he just tears it up on the sax. And that's the one thing I wanted to mention to you about this song because, you know, the saxophone, you don't hear saxophone solos in songs anymore. I mean, a, lo- a while ago he heard it on some Katy Perry song. I don't remember the name of it, but the fact of the matter is is that saxophone solos are kind of old news. You don't really hear them in pop songs anymore. But man, when you heard them on these old school 60s songs, they just sounded amazing. I mean, the saxophone, I, I, you know, here's the thing. So there was that period in the early 60s where... Guitar solos were not really in vogue, but when the guitar solos were in vogue, the saxophone solos were really hot. I mean, holy shit. I mean, the saxophone solos in a lot of these early 60s songs are just incredible. I mean, some of them are amazing. And the cool part about saxophone is that you can really make it sort of, you can make it into two different kind of instruments, right? You can either do this beautiful emotional melody playing that on a sax, or you can basically create that really honky, just out of this world, just like really gritty, sort of dirty saxophone solo happen in the song. You know, you get what I'm saying? So it can either happen either one or two ways. It doesn't have to be like super, uh, you know, beautiful or super melancholy, super sort of emotional sax. It can be like super gritty, super in your face, super almost kind of like really loud saxophone playing that's really good for like dance records like this. Because I guarantee you, if you hear this song, you will not sit down. You will want to dance to it. Absolutely. Because it just has the most infectious dance beat in the world it just sounds amazing and there was a period in my life where I felt like okay dance records aren't the greatest and I felt like this too but then when I heard these 60s dance songs I I was like wow this is actually really really good and I kind of like you know another cool part about the song I like is the fact that the guitar part slightly changes because you hear the main riff in the song right and then it kind of changes when the chord changes. You hear the different notes being played of the chord that it switches to, but it's still the same numeric melody being played by the guitar player. And you hear that happen very several different times in the song. But I love how it kind of switches from the, the one four five and the middle interchanges, and then it cuts out with just the drums and the clapping. Now, here's other thing I wanted to mention to you guys about this song. Okay, so I'm sure when you listen to the song, you're like, Oh my God, I haven't been to a single baseball game, a single football game, uh, hockey game, and I've heard that chant. And you're like, oh, so that were that that is where that chant comes from. Well, that is 1,000% true. So if you've ever been to a sports game, I don't know if it's baseball, hockey, football, you know, any sports game you can think of, you hear that chant. In the beginning of the song, that chant is just in every single sports game you can imagine. And I don't know where that where the writers of that chant got that from, but I guarantee you that is where it comes from. Yes, this 1962 hit on the Billboard Hot 100 on the top 40 with that classic chant that's been heard in every single freaking sports game you can imagine that clapping and you hear that. Let's go. I mean, that's in every single sports game you can think of. I mean, that's where that chant comes from. It comes from this song from 1962 by this band called The Routers. And basically, 
that is where that chant comes from. And uh, yeah, so here, so here's the thing. So um, that you, you know, and I don't know where sports people got the idea. Where I don't know, someone heard the song and decided, you know what, this could be kind of a cool chant to do at sports game. Let's have the audience do it. But somehow the chant in the song, you know, the clapping itself and that "Let's go" being heard. You know, it, it makes sense in sports games. It really, it really does. It, it ants up the tension. It ants up the, the the high stakes in the sports game when people say that. You know, and and it really and and I think like whoever discovered the song and decided to use it in sports games, they were smart because yeah, this sounds like, and it, you know, I think it could have originated from cheerlead cheerleaders. I think cheerleaders might have first heard uh this song uh you know or they might have used this chant and the guys who wrote the song decided to use the chant that cheerleaders used to use in their sports games and that's when that's when they decided to record and write the song okay so now let's get into the history behind the song because i'm sure a lot of you might have a lot of questions about the song like who are the rooters and you know like who are the musicians on the song okay so let's talk about that for a minute because you might think to yourself, I've never heard of this band called the Rooters. I don't know anything about them. Who were they? Well, for, I, I hate to break it to you, but, you know, there is no such band as the Rooters. And you're thinking, wait, what? What do you mean there's no such band as the Rooters? I mean, literally, when you look the song up on Spotify, it just says the Rooters. I mean, that that's the band, right? No. The band on this song... There, there was no such group as the Rooters. It was two songwriters who recorded the song as a demo in uh, in Glendale, California. Actually, check this out. It was it was written by Lanny and Robert Duncan, and uh, one of them recorded the song as a demo in Glendale, California, with two members of who would later would go on to join the Standells, Tony Valentino and Jody Rich. And it was, I believe, that demo was engineered by Glenn Eddie Brackett. And it was recorded in Glendale, California. And then the demo got picked up by this guy named Joe Saraceno. Don't know who Joe Saraceno is? That's okay. I'm going to explain to you who he is right now. Joe Saraceno was this guy who was a producer based in Los Angeles, California. And he basically was that guy that people kind of turned to whenever they wanted to listen to instrumental surf rock. He was really the guy that people wanted to... Whenever, whenever uh, labels wanted wanted him to basically uh, record instrumental rock, they would always turn to Joe Saraceno, and the guy worked for quite a few different labels, and so basically, um, you know, the the original the point I'm trying to make is that it was a demo recorded by one of the one of the guys. Um, Lanny and Robert Duncan. Actually, uh, Lanny was the guy that recorded the song, and it featured Tony Valentino on guitar and Jody Rich on bass. And basically, they recorded it as a demo, and it was two brothers. And they pitched it to Joe Saracino, and Joe Saracino was like, wow, this sounds really cool. I think I'm going to record it. And basically, that is what they did. But the thing is, is that there was no such band as the, as the Rooters. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, there's no such band as the Rooters, Sam. So if that's the case, then who are the musicians on the Rooter on the song? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that the musicians on the song were completely unnamed and somewhat unknown, at least outside of the music industry, studio musicians. 
And these guys have talked about them before in my podcast. And they were known as the Wrecking Crew. And these were the top L.A. studio musicians back in the 60s. I mean, these guys played for the Association, the Beach Boys, the Carpenters, Fifth Dimension, Glenn Campbell, uh, the Ronettes, the Righteous Brothers. Um, you know, I mean, they played on Johnny Rivers. I mean, they played on so many hit records, Mamas and Papas. I mean, these guys were on everything. And, you know, they just played on so many hits, the Beach Boys. And these guys were the top group of studio musicians in L.A. back in the 60s. And these were chameleons because they can go from doing Dean Martin sessions and they can do from they can go from doing like Dean Martin and all these really like Al Martino and some of these really big, easy listening songs to a Beach Boys session, which is totally like teenage pop. You know, so they could really there were comedian chameleons that could do all these different sessions and they were always in demand. And it was always these groups of guys on a lot of these specific records. And it never really changed. It was always these, you know, it was it was it was a group of about 50 to 60 musicians who were on basically all of these songs. And it's so true. And the musicians on this song. You know, and look, I, I've mentioned names of the Wrecking Crew before. I mean, you had Tommy Sesco, Bill Bittman, Jerry Cole, Al Casey, James Burning, Glenn Campbell on guitar. I mean, Carol Kay, Ray Pullman, Joe Osborne, uh, you know, Lyle Ritz, and Red Calendar, and, you know, a bunch of these on bass. And then you had Don Randy, uh, Al Delory, Leon Russell, Mike Milvoy, and Mike, Mike Rubini on piano. And then you had Earl Palmer and Hal Blaine and Jim Gordon, and Jim Keltner on drums, and then Frank Cap too. He also played drums. And then he had a bunch of different uh, other musicians, uh, you know, a bunch of different guys like you know Roy Caden, Ollie Mitchell, Lou McCurry playing the horn sections, and Plas Johnson, Steve Douglas, and Jay Midgley and Jim Horn playing the playing sax. I mean, there was a bunch of different guys who played on all these big LA hits back in the '60s. But the specific group of musicians who played on this particular song. It was done at United Western Recorders, which was one of, again, a studio that I did back when I did Ray Charles. Same studio. And if, in fact, the address of that studio was 6050 Sunset Boulevard. And it was recorded on April 13th, 1962, from 2 o'clock in, in the afternoon to 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And the musicians on the record were Oral Palmer on drums, Plas Johnson on sax, Tommy Sesson, Bill Pittman on guitar, and Jimmy Bond on bass. That's really cool. Now, those were those were the musicians on that particular record. I mean that. I mean that's actually kind of interesting that those. And I and I checked this out. I think the piano player was Ray Johnson because he's actually listed on the original AFM contract for the session. And Ray Johnson was a piano player. Plas Johnson's brother was a saxophone player. And by the way, Plas Johnson also played saxophone on the Pink Panther theme. That's that's his big claim to fame. But he played sax on a bunch of other stuff too, including this record. Well, Plas Johnson is on saxophone, and his brother Ray Johnson is playing piano. So that's really cool. So those are the musicians on this record. Now, the most famous guys in this group are Hal Blaine, Carol Kay, and Tommy Tedesco. But Hal Blaine didn't play on everything because Harold Palmer played on a lot of stuff too. And Carol Kay didn't play on everything. And that's why they had guys like Jimmy Bond and, you know, Red Calendar and Joe Osborne and Lyle Ritz and Ray Pullman and some of these other bass players too. So that's kind of interesting. And yeah, so 
Um, these guys, I mean, they were on most of LA's hits back in the 60s, and there's a whole documentary made about them. I mean, they're probably one of the most highly publicized groups of studio musicians over the past like 10, 15 years. I mean, they really are, you know. So, I mean, it's 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 no secret that these guys were the were the musicians in the Beach Boys pet sounds and not the Beach Boys themselves. I mean, it's just there's a lot, you know, it's there's you know, there's a lot known about these guys. But, you know, I try to talk about other groups of studio musicians from other areas and cities uh, from the 60s besides the Wrecking Crew in L.A. Because a lot of people already know about the Wrecking Crew already. But uh, just to give you a quick little history behind uh, Let's Go, the Corey Day 9 Western Recorders. And then when the song became a hit, right, because the song charted number 19 on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. And basically, um, you know, here's the thing. So... If if since the song became a hit, then did the Wrecking Crew go out and play the song live? And the fact of the matter is, is that they didn't, because these guys were studio musicians and they could not risk get, getting their losing their jobs by going out on the road. They had to stay in one place because otherwise they they would get replaced by other guys. So the musicians who actually played as the routers after uh you know they they after the song became a hit and by the way there's the, the, basically another group that basically was affiliated with the routers they were called the marquettes but basically these were the guys that played as the routers you know you know even though they weren't the musicians on the record because that was the wrecking crew so these guys were al kate on lead guitar lynn frazier on tenor sax michael zane gordon on rhythm guitar and scott walker on bass and randy viers on drums so these were the guys that came out and basically did a lot of you know uh, you know these uh, these these songs live, even though that when the people when the people saw these people live, they 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 thought that these were the musicians in the records, but they weren't. It was actually uh, the Wrecking Crew, and there's a bunch of records like this. I mean, B Bumble's The Stingers is a great example of this. A lot of the same mu musicians. You know who basically wound up playing on, uh, you know, uh, this particular record also did B Bumbles and the Stingers, um, you know, also you know B Bumble Boogie and a couple and you know a couple of the other songs, and also uh, Marquette's Out of Limits, same thing, you know, and basically you know it's one of those things where it's like fly, you know, they did a they did a they did a rock and roll version of Fly in the Bubble Bee, but yeah, but anyways, so here's the thing. So how could they could have gotten away with that back then when if this the same thing were to happen today, it wouldn't fly? How could that happen? Well, you have to think about it like this. Back then, when you bought an album, you rarely saw who the musicians were on the album. And most of the time, the, the record labels were very deceiving. Because even though they would credit the band members as musicians on the album... A lot of times they actually weren't the musicians on the album. It was studio musicians who played on the album. But check this out. This is before the internet. So you have to keep in mind that back in those days, if you wanted to find out information about something, you literally had to check out magazines in the in, in a public library or check out books in a public library. That's the only way you can find out about certain specific pieces of information. So there was no internet. There was no Wikipedia. There was no you know, informational aspects that none of that existed back then. So for all people knew, um, you know, the, the, the writers, the band that played the song live for all they knew, they, they obviously assumed that they were the, they were the musicians on the record because they had no way of finding out 
that the wrecking crew was actually the musicians on the record because half the time they never got credit. Except for there's a couple exceptions. I mean, they got credit on the Phil Spector's A Christmas Gift for You, but that's a whole other story. But anyways, that is 1,000% true. So, no, they, they can't get away with this now. I mean, there's no way if a band didn't play on a record and it got released, people would find out that they're not the, they're not the musicians on the record. People would automatically know that because now we have the Internet. Now we have Wikipedia. Now we have news outlets that can tell people, you know, the truth about certain situations. So, I mean, there's no way they can get away with this now. But back then they could because there was no Internet. And in even even like a couple couple years later when the Monkees came out, and I'll talk about the Monkees too, a similar thing happened, but they actually were the first band to actually get found out they didn't play on their own records, and they actually got kind of a bad rap. But there's absolutely no way that they can get away with this now. Absolutely no freaking way that they would be able to do what exactly what they did back then today. There's just it just it just can't happen because now we have a bunch of online internet resources that could tell us exactly what's going on in those recording sessions and that we hear for those hit records that we listen to on the radio and on Spotify and Apple Music and whatnot. And so I mean there's no way that they could have that that they could have gotten away with that today like they did back then. So that's kind of the point of all that. And it's just kind of interesting how there were some deceivery back then, you know. And in hindsight, I kind of wish those musicians kind of got credit, you know, because they were the ones who made this music happen. I mean, if it wasn't for the studio musicians, we wouldn't be hearing this, these songs today. It absolutely needed to happen. And, you know, it's it's kind of interesting that that's kind of what, what went on back in this behind the scenes back in the 60s. And this song should really this this episode of this podcast should give you a really good, a good idea for exactly um, you know, just what kind of what happened back then and just should give you a good understanding of how how much fuckery there was going on in the music business back in the 60s and how there's still a lot of fuckery going on right now in the music business, except it's a different version of fuckery. But all but that's a whole nother can of worms for a whole nother story. So that's the history behind the routers. Let's go. And I won't be putting on an episode next week, but I'll see you guys next week. But I'll do the outro now. So that concludes episode number 117 on my 60 Music Podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and if you listen to this week's episode of my podcast and you listen to this song, and you're like, oh my god, I've been, I'm a huge sports fan, I go to all the sports games, and that's where that chant comes from? Holy crap, I've never heard this song before, but it's so fascinating, the history behind it. And it kicks ass. I love the instrumental for this instrumental. It sounds incredible. And you're around my age and you, you're a sports guy and you, you heard the song and you're like, wow, I can't believe that's where that chant comes from. You can email me at samltwilliaicloud.com or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies and check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net. And yeah, so as per usual, check out the official YouTube and Spotify playlist for this podcast. There will be able to find all the songs I've talked about on my show so far, including some of the ones I mentioned in interview episodes. And yeah, so that's really cool. And yeah, so uh, I, I, yeah, so I got the Spotify and YouTube playlist. All the songs my po- I talked about in podcasts are there. And if you listen to those playlists, as I say at every episode, if you if that gives you any kind of ideas for the kind of music I should talk about next on my podcast that I haven't yet, you can email those ideas to me at samltwilliaicloud.com. And you can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies. And you can also check out the official Redbubble merch store for this podcast. 
there you'll be able to find the super cool merch merch store that has all these really cool merch items which has my own personal logo on it for this podcast it is the uh, catchphrase I say at the end of every episode and keep on trucking today font with my name and podcast at the bottom. Love if you guys can check it out. Um, if you guys like the logo and you want to purchase something, please let me know by emailing me at samltwilliacloud.com. You can also reach out to me on Instagram, uh, iheartoldies. And yeah, so um, yeah, so basically, you know, if you like that logo and you think it's really cool, love, I also love some feedback on the logo and the price of each other in the store, too, if you think they're too expensive or you think they're just about the right price. Uh, you can email that to me at samltwilliacloud.com. Or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at iHeartWoldies. Also, here's another cool thing I'm working on, too. Um, you know, if you guys want to hear more of my music, a lot of this, the stuff that's on my website is old music that I recorded and released a long time ago. But I am working on new music with my school. So uh, you're going to hear more of that really, really soon. And my since my birthday is on Monday, this is also cool, too. If you're on Instagram, by the way. If you follow me on iHeartOldies, I want to let you guys know that I'm going to be going live on Instagram at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Monday, on my birthday. I'm going to play for you snippets of some of my new original music. You're going to hear the first verse of each new song that I've recorded. It's going to be on my new PE that's coming out uh, next year. So if you guys want to tune in for that, definitely do that. Um, you know, it's going to be a little birthday live celebration. It's going to be so fun. I can't wait for you guys to tune in. Um, it's going to be really, really cool. And yeah, so that's also what's happening. Like I said before, no episode next week. It's just this week. And then the week after that, it's going to be my interview. And by the way, her name is Kat Hamilton. She just put out an album. I haven't heard it yet, but I'll listen to it soon. And then basically, she's going to ask me a bunch of really cool questions about uh, 60s music related stuff. And that's going to be really cool because she's around my age. She's going to learn a lot about that stuff. So that's going to be awesome. So yeah, so um, next time I get on this podcast, I'm going to... Be a 25-year-old songwriter slash producer who is a huge 60 music fan slash expert slash nerd. So that's going to be cool. Yep, I'm getting older, just like everyone else. So it's going to be really great. So I'm Sam Williams, and thank you for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, please. Keep things groovy. Keep things groovy.